So this is our fourth Sunday in Advent as we are preparing for Christmas Day. And uh, this is our fourth Advent sermon. And so far we have seen in Old Testament and New Testament glimpses of the promise of who the Messiah would be, the signs that would reveal Him. And then in the New Testament, in the Gospels, how Jesus fulfills those promises. Those signs became reality in Him. We've seen that Jesus was the source of abundant wine and that He repurposed clay pots, formerly known for ceremonial washing, but He announced Himself as the great sin washer who had come and that there was no more need for ceremony. We saw that Jesus was Himself the true bread of heaven who came into the world to feed the deep hunger of humanity. And then last week we saw that Jesus is the true healer who alone can reach out and touch fallen humanity and bear the weight of their sins as the great sin healer. And now this morning we go back to what we could call the first sign, the original sign. The divine sign that God would send His Son born of a woman, born of a virgin. This mystery, this miracle of Advent and of the Incarnation. And so we have two passages, the Old Testament promise of the sign and the New Testament fulfillment. And the Old Testament promise is in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And the New Testament reading is Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Give your attention to God's Word. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And then Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David... A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, Peace to those on whom His favor rests. Let's pray that God will bless our hearing and understanding of His Word. Lord, that is our prayer, and we ask that You would do it. Would You open our eyes to see the wonder, the beauty of Christmas, that God has come down to us. Lord, would You open our hearts, even our cold hearts, Would you warm them that we might truly be able to celebrate Christ this Christmas? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may have heard it said that the joy 
is in the journey. The joy is in the journey, we've been told. The joy is in the journey. But anybody who has ever taken a road trip to go on vacation should know that that is not true. Sure, there are happy moments and good memories made along the way, and those are usually enjoyed after reflecting on the trip once it's over, but the true joy is always in the destination. After all, that's what the trip was for. The journey is mostly an arduous process to be endured. It is the destination that is to be enjoyed. Like an athlete who trains for months for the competition, the true joy is not found in the hours of conditioning and practice. Those are the hours to be endured. It's the hour of winning the championship, the moment of receiving the trophy or the crown of glory, That is where true joy is found. And the birth, the life, the ministry of Christ reflects this same truth, this same pattern, as do our own lives. Because you see, suffering comes before glory. Humility before being exalted Death before resurrection. And so that is the pattern that we see in Christ's life, even from the moment of His birth in a low condition to the end of His life, to His resurrection, we see this pattern of humiliation before exaltation, suffering before glory, death before resurrection. We have four simple points this morning that show this pattern, and we're going to sing about this pattern at the end of the service. So listen carefully. The first point is this. We're told that the Christ would come, that He would be born of a virgin and in a low and humble estate. And we know that to be true. We heard it in our Scripture reading, that it would be a miracle that the Christ would be born of a virgin. And that is the miracle. That is the sign. And I know what you're thinking. Virgins don't give birth to children. And that is the point. And if you need any further explanation on that, see our assistant pastor, Archie Moore, who will explain that in greater detail than I will right now. But the entire point of the miracle and the sign is that virgins do not conceive unless God Himself is at work. And that is what we know and believe by faith to be true. This is one of the miracles of Scripture. J. Gresham Machen in his work, Christianity and Liberalism, concerning miracles in the Bible, and all of these signs and wonders that we've considered throughout Advent, these are miracles. These are supernatural events of God. But listen to what he says for you who maybe are wrestling with this sense of miracle, or if you have people in your life that do wrestle with that sense of miracle. He says this, The New Testament 
without the miracles would be far easier to believe. But the trouble is, it would not be worth believing. Without the miracles, the New Testament would contain an account of a holy man, but of what benefit would such a man and the death which marked his failure be to us? The loftier the example which Jesus set, the greater our sorrow at our failure to attain it, our failure to be like Him, and the greater our hopelessness under the burden of our own sin. Some want to remove the miracles and say, you know, if if I can't explain it naturally, I just can't believe in the supernatural. But by faith, we're called to believe in the supernatural, that God breaks the bounds of the ordinary and does extraordinary things. He breaks the bounds of the natural and does supernatural things. And He always has. That's the nature of how He has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. And the Christ would come and be born of a virgin. And in a low and humble estate, surrounded by animals lying in a manger, he would be a weak and helpless babe born in a crude and cold context. And if you're paying attention to what that means, there's a sense in which you want to scratch your head and say, well, we didn't see it happening like this. This isn't how we would have predicted it. This isn't how we would have orchestrated it. But it is precisely how the Lord breaks our expectations with His own. Secondly, that Christ who would grow up, He would grow to become the prophesied man of sorrows. He would be a man of sorrows. Isaiah chapter 53 predicts this that he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We didn't see the Christ coming and being born in a cold and crude estate. And we surely didn't expect Him to be a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with grief and with suffering. But He was familiar with grief, with suffering, and with hardship in every way. We just never saw it playing out that way. And then thirdly, the Christ would be unjustly tried and sentenced to a wrongful death. He was despised. He was rejected. He was mocked. He was insulted. He was beaten down wearing a crown of thorns and shedding drops of blood. This is what the Christ child would do. And no one expected it. No one saw the story playing out this way. 
So much grief, so much darkness, so much sadness, so much pain. And yet this is why the baby was born. And why? Why would he do all of this? Why would he suffer all of this? Remember what verse 14 in Luke chapter 2 says. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. His favor, His kindness, His love, His mercy. The Christ child would come in a low estate. He would live a humiliated state, only to later be exalted. And He did it for His church. He did it for those upon those His favor would rest. He did it for the peace of His people, for sinful people. And it just never looked like it made sense as the story was playing out in front of those first people who saw it. They were surprised. They were unimpressed. Surely this can't be how the story begins or ends. And yet it is that very thing. This is the way that peace would come into the world. It would come through suffering. Joy would come through sadness. Life would come from death. And resurrection would come from a grave. They all seem like oxymorons. They seem to contradict reality. But this is how the gospel story would play out. In the midst of darkness, a dark world filled with sin and misery and gloom, the Christmas story is the light and the hope of joy. It is what breaks in and shatters the darkness with the light of the gospel. One of my former students at Erskine who's now married, she has two young children. She had a post on Facebook this week on social media. And I read it. I didn't comment on what she said. But she, in her own way and in her everyday experience, captured the beauty of Christmas and how weird it can feel to have such hope in the midst of such darkness. She wrote it out and expressed it so beautifully. And I'm going to close with this as it reveals true beauty at Christmas. I've edited this only slightly, but this is her account. She says this, Driving home in the dark cold last night, I was mentally consumed with the current state of pain which several people that I love are having to endure. I then passed a heartbreaking scene. A dog had been hit in the road, and people had stopped and were trying to take care of it. It was mostly covered with a blanket and was lying very still. Mountains of sorrow in my mind already, and now this? Jesus, I whisper yelled into the night. You said the darkness wouldn't overcome, and I'm trying so hard to believe you. Please open the floor of heaven and let our cries come up before you. We need help. As I drove along, I passed house after house, 
decked out with bright Christmas decorations, all very bright and very merry. Why, in one yard, the word joy was spelled in giant red letters, standing tall, and it felt like a mockery of my pain at first. It made me mad. But then I started to wonder, what kind of person looks at 11 and a half months of the year 2020 full in the face and still has the audacity to spell joy in giant red letters out in front of their house? Maybe it's not a heartless person who's out of touch with the pain of the world. Maybe it's a determined and resilient person a faith-seeking, understanding kind of person that did that. Someone with faithful grit, faithful gratitude, and faithful courage. It feels hard to celebrate this year when there is so much to mourn. The groans of our aching world threaten to drown out any reason for Christmas cheer. The suffering of the world is overwhelming and is everywhere. But there's mercy that calls for celebration. There's comfort that brings joy. Because there's truth in the story of a God who knew well the pain of this world, who did not look away from that pain, but in grace came down into it decking Himself out in the flesh of humanity for the purpose of redeeming it. Oh, the light shines in the darkness, and the gloom of this world cannot overcome our joy. Amen? It feels wrong to speak of joy and cheer when so much seems to be going poorly. So much seems to be going badly. But that is exactly what we do. We sing about joy. We talk about joy. We preach about joy because that's what Christ has done. And joy has come in a way that we never saw it coming. It came in a baby in a cold and crude estate who would grow up to become a man of sorrows, who would wear a crown of thorns and drip drops of blood because he brought Christmas cheer into a dark and gloomy world. And so we sing about blood, we sing about death because we believe in joy and we believe in the resurrection. Before we pray, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song that captures all of this very beautifully. It's a hymn, uh, it's actually a rather obscure hymn that's not known by many. It's from William Walsham Howe. It was written in 1867, and the title of it is, Who is This So Weak and Helpless? Uh, Some of you know it because Indelible Grace has helped to bring it back to life, and Sandra McCracken is the familiar voice with that hymn. But as we sing it, and as you hear it sung, I want you to get the big picture of what is happening in this hymn. There is a movement of the, in the hymn from humiliation to exaltation. From the lowest state to the highest state. And you have to pay attention because the hymn can seem depressing, but it actually drives us to joy. 
There's also the rhythm in this song of question and answer. Question and answer. And the question that it asks is the ultimate question of the Bible. It's what the Bible asks every one of us. And it is the answer that Christmas gives. The question is, who is this? Who is this child? Who is this man of sorrows? And the answer is, he's our Savior. But as we sing the hymn and as you see the lyrics playing out, you need to, in the back of your mind, hear the whisper of, who is this? Because this doesn't seem to be going the way that we think it is. This story seems to be going badly. It seems to be going poorly. But by the end, you see, that is exactly how the story was written. God had a purpose all along that it would be through suffering that we would find glory. But not through our suffering, it would be through His. So let's pray that God would bless us this Christmas, our belief, our faith, in the suffering that took place for us, in the Christ child who was born for us. And then we'll sing this hymn together. Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer, that you would turn our attention heavenward to Christ Jesus, to the one who came born in a low estate, who suffered in this life, was unjustly tried, put to a wrongful death, but was resurrected and now sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. It's in Him that we find our hope. It's in Him that we find our joy. It's in Him that we celebrate this Christmas. So Lord, would you bless your church in His name. Amen.